Hey everybody, good morning, or good afternoon even. Amen. We this afternoon, this Sunday, are starting a new series. Over the summer we took a break, and <clears throat> if you've been with us just for a few weeks, you might have anticipated that we kind of teach different topics on a week-by-week -week basis, but actually we don't. We try to make a habit of walking through the Bible, kind of chapter by chapter, literally verse by verse. And so with summertime, because everyone's kind of away, including ourselves, we kind of mix and blend and have different brothers sharing um, over the course of the summer. But <clears throat> we're now going back to what we would deem as normal, a regular diet. And um, we're going to be going through a book that's going to take us up to the beginning of December. We're going to be spending 12 weeks in the book of James. And uh, our title for this series, you know we like to give the series a title, right? Because we think that we believe that the book, that every single book of the Bible has a specific message. And so, you know, we will always give our, uh, our book series a title. It's going to be... And the title for this series, through James, is called Bona Fide Faith. Well, yes and no. Bona Fide. Um, maybe I'll come back to that. Um, but today's particular message um, in the series... So the series is called Bona Fide, Bona Fide Faith... But this, the message for today is called, when bona fide faith is what? Is tested. James chapter 1, verse 1 through to verse 11, <clears throat> when bona fide faith is tested. And I'm going to see, I'm going to test you, <laughs> tested. I'm going to test you in a minute to see if you can remember the title, right? But we'll come back to that. We'll see who's paying attention. <laughs> now, bona um, how, how many of you know, <clears throat> this is a slang word that breaks with the tradition of contemporary urban vernacular. This breaks with that um, tradition. I'll show you what I mean. Like, common tradition t tends to turn words on their head or makes turn them inside out, back to front. So, Michael Jackson's notorious for taking a, a, a one word and, and, and giving it another meaning. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I think it's the name of one of his albums. Bad. And he takes that term and really, actually, he means good, right? And, and like back in the day, like, if a man said, yeah, you're bad. I, mean, we, I think we still use that term, right? Um, but there's, like, there's some terms that are a bit dated now. Maybe you don't really use that word anymore. It was like, look, I couldn't believe last night I was, I was getting ready to go to bed, walked in on the telly, in, in the bedroom, and there was this film on called Warriors. I don't know if you remember Warriors from back in the day. Don't watch it. If you ain't seen it, don't watch it. But I remember back in the day, we used to love this film. We were like, boy, Warriors. It was like, it was like the Scarface of like my, t my time when I was a youngster, BC, before Christ days, right? So I walk in on this film, and I, start, I watched this film for about 10 minutes, and I thought, whoa, the film's so corny. The film's so cheesy. But I remember back in the day, it was like amazing. Hey, do we still use the term bad for good? Maybe we do. I know we use the term wicked, right? And I don't know why we have to say it like that with that extrapolation. Wicked, you know what I mean? We use words like ill and sick. 
meaning healthy, meaning good. <laughs> On the other hand, these words, the words bona fide, means exactly what it says. And it's a term that we use, at least in terms of kind of like modern London, like, you know what I'm saying, urban vernacular. And we will say bona fide, you know what I'm saying, like that's my brethren, he's my bona fide brethren. Basically, um, <laughs> it means the same as bona fide. If, does any of that make sense? The word bona fide means genuine, it means real, it means authentic and legitimate. We're talking about genuine faith, authentic faith, bona fide faith. Faith is mentioned in this book at least 16 times, and it's the standard, standout, big theme of the book. Hence, it's in the title of our title for the book. This theme continues to be explored by James throughout this short book. <clears throat> and see, if your faith is bona fide, if your faith is real, he's going to say in chapter 1, he says, bona fide faith, it will be steadfast and it will be obedient. In chapter 2, he says, bona fide faith loves and it works. In chapter 3, he says, bona fide faith speaks. And he also says that it is wise. Bonafide faith submits to God in chapter 4 and is humble. And in chapter 5, we see that bonafide faith is patient and bonafide faith prays. So today we're going to see that bonafide faith will do what? Or it will be what? Thank you. It will be tested. And well done, you passed the test, some of you. Testing. Now, who likes being tested? And I know no one ain't going to put their hand up, apart from, the, yeah, apart from certain types of individuals who probably fall in the minority. Well, in order to see if your faith is bona fide, it will be tested. And how many of you, you know that we tend not to embrace trials or testing with joy, normally speaking? So, hopefully, you're in James chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 1 to verse 11. I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Verse 1 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubt in for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes, 
so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Would you join with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you um, for your <coughs> wonderful word. Thank you that it's established in heaven. It's never going to change. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never pass away. And thank you that you've had it enshrined. You've kept it faithfully preserved for us to be able to open it this morning or this afternoon. And um, Father, I pray that as we do so, that you'd illuminate our understanding in order that we might better be able to be equipped, Lord, for every good work and be able to respond to the difficulties and the challenges and the tests that life will throw at us and that we'd overcome by your grace. In Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> now the book of James, um, some call it the New Testament book of Proverbs. Um, James is like wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Wisdom being a key theme of our message today. Wisdom. And in similar fashion to Proverbs, um, this book, you find that the themes, they change really quickly and seemingly without warning. Like, like, why does this paragraph come after that one? Even as we were reading, you might have been like, how does this all kind of fit together? <laughs> and I'm saying that's the difficult job of the preacher, right? To try to show how it fits together because this is a letter that has, um, has meaning. Like whoever penned it, James, you know what I'm saying? He wrote it for a reason and reasons that we need to understand by God's grace. Um, now, although this is just like Proverbs, an Old Testament book, it's, it's, it's very much a New Testament book. And we will actually hear um, no less than 15 echoes throughout this book, just from the Sermon on the Mount. That's how New Testament-ish it is. But surprisingly, there's no references in this book to, in, to the resurrection or to the cross, kind of specifically, directly. And in chapter 2, there seems to be an apparent contradiction. Because it says a person <laughs> is justified by works and not by faith alone. Which actually seems to cut across the grain of the gospel, you know what I'm saying, as far as we know it. And Martin Luther, um, not Martin Luther King from 60, 70 years ago, but Martin Luther, the 16th century reformer, he had much to say about this book. I mean, he did eventually change his mind, but um, he quotes James himself, and watch what he does. He quotes James chapter, chapter 3, and, he, and this is what James says. James says, not many of you should become teachers, says James. Martin Luther makes a quote about this, and he says, if I can find it, he says, if only James had learned to take his own advice. This is, this is how Martin Luther felt about the book of James because of these quote-unquote apparent contradictions. Obviously, it's not a contradiction, and hopefully we'll tease that out as we go through the book. <clears throat> as we can see, <clears throat> the letter is written by James. We see that at the beginning of verse 1, right? And he refers to himself how? As a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Now, he refers to himself as a bond servant. Now, that's a title of humility. 
You know what I'm saying? A bond servant is someone who is like a slave. They completely, entirely give themselves over to serving someone in full capacity, unreservedly. And this is how he references his relationship with the Lord Jesus. Sorry, I should actually say with God and of the Lord Jesus. And I say that specifically because there's a point I'm going to make in a minute. Now, this is James, who's actually the half-brother of Jesus, right? He's Jesus' little brother, this James. There's four Jameses in the New Testament. I won't bother go through all of them, because this is what always eats up my time. Um, just know that this is Jesus' little brother. <laughs> I always feel like I need to prove every single point, see? And that I'm doing it again. Um, that means James's mum and dad was Who? Mary and Joseph, like Joseph would have been his legitimate father, obviously not Jesus' father, like biologically. Um, and you can, you can some, just, could it be possible, right? And I think this is, I'm, on, I'm standing on short ground, I think, because James is a sinner and Jesus wasn't. Could it be possible, you know what I'm saying, that there could have been times where James was misbehaving and Jesus and Mary would turn around or Joseph would turn around and say to James, James, why don't you just behave yourself? Why can't you be like your big brother Jesus? <laughs> My point is he saw Jesus' life up close and very personal, didn't he? Yet he declares Jesus not as his big bro, but he refers to Jesus as his Lord, which is a reference to Jesus' deity, to the fact that Jesus is God. See, Lord is an important word. It's curious in Greek, and it means that James considered Jesus to be God. James sees himself as a servant, notice, of Jesus as much as he sees himself a servant of God. Hence, another, if you like, um, proof text of the fact that Jesus is God, and that from the lips of of his own blood, <laughs> that from the lips of his own brother, his own half-brother. Like, so often, like, we struggle with the deity of Christ. I don't remember when I first became a Christian, I struggled. I couldn't understand how Jesus could be, how God the Father could be God, how the Holy Spirit could be God, and Jesus could be God. You know what I'm saying? It used to really mess with my mind. Um, but it's, ver- it's, it's portions of text like this that indirectly help us to appreciate that that is the very truth. That Jesus actually is God. Hence, no flippant reference to Jesus is, yeah, he's my, uh, yeah, this is James, yeah, Jesus is little bro. No, he doesn't refer to him, <laughs> he doesn't refer, refer to him in that flippant fashion. Now, this is most probably the James who became the leader of the Jerusalem church. We see that in Acts chapter 15, which had become a scattered church, um, particularly after the persecution of Stephen, right? Everyone had to run out of town because people were getting murdered, like, Literally, you know what I mean? And there's this persecution, and, <clears throat> and, they f- and they flee Jerusalem, dispersing throughout the Near East, right? Hence being called a diaspora. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's when people from a particular location leave that location and spread out to different places. And um, in a sense, this is... In a sense, this is James's church. This is the church that James, in conjunction with Peter and John, were responsible for leading. This is his church. It's like Pastor E made a reference earlier. Like, we, we pray for you. You know what I'm saying? And 
In one sense, we're never going to say Ecclesia is our church. Like, hey, like, you know what I mean? Boom. Like, that like happens sometimes where and I'm saying you're not you're not ours. You begin to the, you belong to the Lord Jesus. We're pastors, um, which means shepherds, but we're under shepherds and we're sh- shepherds under Jesus, who's the chief shepherd. You know what I mean? So you're not ours, but at the same time, so in one way we're never going to refer to you like you like you belong to us. But in one way we will refer to you like you belong to us, because some of you are like our children, like Paul would refer to Timothy. You know what I'm saying? We've seen you birthed and grow and develop in the kingdom of God, in the family of God. You know what I'm saying? And, and in that sense, there's an affinity. And, and potentially, as James is writing this letter, he's thinking about those who are going to receive it in that sense. And, and it's, I have to mention quickly that this letter isn't like Philippians or Ephesians because <clears throat> it's, it's, it's called a general epistle. Um, it's not to a, to a particular person or to a particular specific church in a specific place, like the books I just mentioned. Um, but it is definitely to God's people, because we see that in verse 2, as he refers to the recipients as what? As brothers. I'm saying, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, which includes the sisters, because brothers is like a generic term. It's brethren, right? And he says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when, like, when, when, <laughs> when, when should you count it all joy, just to make sure that you're tracking with me. I don't make it hard for you when I preach. All you've got to do is keep the text open in front of you. Come on now, help me. Thank you. Amen. When, thank right, in unison, when should we, um, now I lost my train of thought. <laughs> We should count it all joys. We should count it all joy when you, when I, when we meet various tri- Amen. trials of, and notice it's, it's trials of various kinds. Like I said, joy and trials, you know what I'm saying, and tests if you like. <laughs> joy, trials. Those two words don't normally go together. Right? Unless you're cussing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, these words, they don't go together. They don't go together like hammer and wrench, like croissants and French, like bottom and bench. I'm just borrowing some bars from Pastor E, if you didn't know. You know, those words, they go together. But joy and trials, they don't normally go together. It doesn't have a ring to it. And it's not just trials, it's various kinds. And we'll see this in a moment, a little bit later. And I think the, the King James Version says diverse trials. Divers, diverse trials. It's like, and the word is like, you remember Joseph had a multicolored coat? A coat of many colors? Well, it was different color fabric kind of sewn together. You know what I'm saying? A multitude of different types and colors coming together. Welcome to a world filled with multicolored, multi-shaped, and multifaceted trials. <laughs> Illness, redundancy, relationship breakdown, loneliness, depression, infertility, premature death sometimes. 
And we don't tend to see trials coupled or accompanied with joy. Notice he, he doesn't say, feel it all joy. When you go through a difficult trial, feel it, feel joy. No, that'd be masochistic. And I'm saying if he's commanding that, like that's, some, that's twisted. But he says, count it all joy. That is, reckon it or consider it. Count it all joy. Why? Verse 3. Because of what you know. You see verse 3? For you know something. But the problem is, one, some of us don't know it. And two, if we do know it, we tend to forget it. Well, maybe I speak for myself. You know what I mean? For you know that testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The beginning of verse 3 is the key that highlights the issue. For you know, you know, right? And you're like, know what? Look at verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It's taken for granted that we should know this. And I would hope to think that we agree, not just because the Bible says so, but because the Bible says so, but also, this is something that life teaches us. See, if you really knew that, then you could in fact begin to see how trials and joy go together. That is how trials are actually a blessing. Because trials produce something. They produce the text says steadfastness, the word is endurance. And, it's, and this word is what you need to run a marathon. How many of you know the Christian life? It's not Usain Bolt 100 meter sprint like over in 9.5 seconds, six, seven seconds, I can't remember. If only it was over that quick. You know what I'm saying, bro? It's not. It's a 26-mile... Ma- like some of us don't even know what, that, what, what 26 miles is. You know what I'm saying? But that's... <laughs> welcome to the Christian life. It's a marathon. And in order to run a marathon, in order to run the Christian race, in order to live the Christian life, we need endurance. But it's great because it says that we're going to get it when... We are tested. It doesn't say if trials come, you know, Missy. It says when they come. That means anticipate, like brace yourself for the trials to come. But it's all right because you know. You know that it will eventually produce something that you need to help you to continue to, to run this race. You know, some of you may, some of you may not know that I started riding a bike. I've been trying to get fit for I cannot even tell how long. I had this gym membership, that gym membership. Said I'm going to start running. Two twos had operations on both of my knees, surgery on my knees to get rid of the, the cartilage because it mush up. Can't run now. And I thought, Lord, what am I going to do? And I mean, because I need to lose some of this weight. Anyway, by God's grace, man. I don't even, I can't remember how it happened, but, you know, look at, I want to be like Tim. Look at Tim. Oh my gosh. You know what I'm saying? So I can't even remember how it, I remember but there was one time Pastor E jumped on his, uh, Pastor P jumped on his bike, got this road bike, this ugly road bike, 
trying to sell it to me, saying, oh, Rob, you need to get a road bike. Now, road bike is the one with the drop handlebars. I said, Bridgerton, you couldn't give me one of them bikes. Carbon, what not, this, that, whatever, them, whatever the bikes are the tops. But you couldn't. He's been trying to pass the ego. He got um, one in the middle. So he didn't get the road bike, but he got a, he got, he got, he got a commuter bike, a hybrid. Amen. And then I thought, you know, what kind of bike am I going to get? I'm going to get a bike, you know. But them man would ride to Richmond Park and then ride round Richmond Park. And I knew I wasn't on them levels. <laughs> but, and I knew I weren't going to get that type of bike. So back in the day, I used to ride BMX. I don't know if you guys know, years and years and years back. Like, I'll show you how long ago it was. It was when BMX was invented. <laughs> That's when I used to ride BMX. I used to do tricks and whatnot. So I thought, if I'm going to get a bike, I need a bike like that with that kind of geometry because that's me. Anyway, cut the long story short, I bought one about 17 years ago and it's been in the shed. used to ride it when I used to work at the post office. So I thought, you know, let me dig out this bike. You know, like it was springtime this year, dig out the bike. And I thought, man, I'm going I'm I'm to start riding to work. Now, some of you know, I, I work, me and Pastor E, we work, we work in Tower Bridge. HQ, LCM, HQ. So I thought, boy, I wonder if I can ride to, to Tower Bridge. Now, some of you know where I live, right? But I was determined. And here's the thing. I know that the Lord is working in my heart and he's changing me. Because back in the day, when I say I'm going to do something like this, hey. Boy, and I'm a man, I like to do my research. So I'll be online. I'll be looking at all the bikes. I'll be just looking at all the equipment that I need. And you know what I'm saying? I'll go to Decathlon and have a look at the bikes there. I'll go to Halfords and look at the bikes there. I'll do all of that stuff. And then I'd spend, I don't know, X amount, of mon- X amount of pound on all of this stuff that I use for maybe two weeks. And then it sit down in the corner, don't use it. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to do that this time. I'm going to dig up my old bike. Anyway, jump on my old bike, ride into work. Now, my bike... Is such that everybody just whizzes past me because it's only got 26-inch wheels. You know what I mean? And it, for any of you that would got bike, I'm just going to talk some bike language. It's 26-inch wheels. The regular mountain, the regular road bikes are 29-inch wheels, so it's smaller wheels. So I can't go as fast as I'm doing like this, and everyone's just just casually, like I mean, casually like riding past me, male and female. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and but 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 cut to cut the long story short. I'm going to get a 650B. I'm going to get one with 650Bs. That's 27.5 inch rims. I'm not going to go 29 inch there because they're too big. Remember, I don't like them other bikes. And anybody wants to talk about bikes <laughs> afterwards, come check me, yeah? So here's the thing. So I'm riding to work now, yeah? And you know, I live in Sydenham, for those of you that don't know, yeah? I live in Sydenham. And parts of, there's a part of Sydenham called Sydenham Hill. <laughs> and it's right adjacent to Forest Hill. And I got, to, I got to go, you know, I took a picture. Well, I said I took a picture. I meant to take a picture as I was driving up there, but I, I, I forgot to. And anyway, this is Google Maps, isn't it? And you can't really see it that well. You can't see the gradient. But trust me, this Tyson Road is, is round the back of Forest Hill. Uh, uh, amen. I got a witness. Amen. Amen. So... <clears throat> Let me just show you, just in case you don't believe. Look, this is the elevation. This is one of the apps that I got. It's just to show you that it's not a joke and I'm not hyping it, right? Now, here's the thing. When I first started riding, right, I couldn't manage the hill. Listen. (laughs) I didn't even attempt the hill for the first two weeks. I pushed my bike up the hill. 
And, and I'd see kids going to school, and, they, and it's like they would look at me. <laughs> and they'd look, they never said this, but the look said, boy, <laughs> you, can, you, can't make, you can't make it up the hill. Boy, you're soft. This is the look. This is what the look was communicating, because I'm pushing the bike up the hill. Like, what kind of business is that, right? And, um, but you see now, eight weeks later, listen, uh, you know the rest of the story, innit? You know the rest of the story. Look, like, I conquered that hill by God's grace, right? And it happened because I took on the challenge of the gradient. It was hard. Some, some at the beginning, I only made it halfway up the hill. But, you know, embracing that trial strengthened me. Though it acquired... Through embracing that trial, I acquired something that I did not have. It's not even like, oh, you should have tried. I couldn't get up the hill. I literally was on the pedals, like, stationary. <laughs> it, the bike would not go up the hill. And my muscles had, didn't have the... There was full of lactic acid. Is that right? Yeah. But you know what? Embracing the trial strengthened me and through it, I acquired something that I did not previously have before. That's our word, steadfastness. That's our word, endurance. And you see them cheeky little picnic? <laughs> I just laugh at them now. <laughs> That's me up the hill, you know. And when I pass them, I just look at them. And in my mind, I don't say it. Like they never said it to me. I, I look at them and I say to myself, see, you're rich. I'm on my bike. <laughs> You have to walk up this hill. <laughs> Endurance. I couldn't, have a, I couldn't have attained it without the trial. And now, I don't fear that hill. At Tyson, I don't fear it now. I used to. Now, I relish it. Now, I count it all joy. I'm like, hey, this is like food for me. Do you remember Israel when, when they were, when, when were going to go and take, was it Jericho? Can, when they were going to go and take Canaan, and they, everybody was shook. They sent the spies in, eight come back with a bad report, two come back with a minority report, and it was, we can do this. Against all the odds, we can, them giants are like food for us. Therefore, it's, the man's... You can count it all joy. Why? Because of what you know. Therefore, you can reckon it, you can consider it, you can count it all joy. Why? Because verse 3, because of the, the good that will come from it. Now, we, not be, we may not be able to, prev to prevent the trials that come, but we can determine how we respond to them. How do you respond? How do you react when you face trials is it with anger do you wallow self-pity like why me why now is that your response but imagine responding with joy joy at the prospect of growing in maturity see has your faith been has it been strengthened like man I tell you it's like riding has changed my life. 
Because I used to play football back in the day, and for about 10 years, like, since longer than that, when I used to work in the post office, everything was physical, right? Hard labor, picking up bags, throwing them. I used to be a van, jump in the van, jump out the van, opening the post boxes, jumping back in the van, constantly on the move. And I was playing football at the same time during that time. 2003, we planted the church. By God's grace, I was able to leave the post office. <laughs> I had to get another job because... Um, no exercise. But since I've been riding... I've had this newfound energy and strength and, yo, I mean, I had to humble myself and not get big-headed. But some, someone said to me the other day, boy, Robert, you've been working out. I was like, well, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, I'm, I'm in, I'm, what can I say? I'm encouraged. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying, to inc- I'm trying to help us to see past what we would normally see in order that we might be encouraged by hard work and effort and energy that produces great results. Have you, ha- has your faith been strengthened, as we talk about it in that sense, or has your faith been shattered recently? You know, there's someone that, that if I named everybody would know, you know what I'm saying, that has, for 20 years, you know what I'm saying, believed the gospel trusted in the God of the Bible only to come to a place where now this person doesn't believe any of it anymore and in one sense there's many different ways you can sum it up but one of the ways I would sum it up is that person has lacked in what in steadfastness they've lacked in endurance they've lacked in perseverance And how many of you know the Bible talks about the perseverance of the saints? There's a place, you know what I'm saying, for us to continue even through those difficult, even... Now, who ain't been in a place where, like, you look at some of... You you, you look at some of the things that the Bible says, and you think, man, I'm not sure about that. You look at life and what's going on out there, and you think, what is that all about? I mean, we just, a little while ago, done the book of Ecclesiastes. Thankfully, that answered some of those questions about life under the sun is a madness sometimes. But half an hour ago, if I asked you about trials, you'd be like, yeah, man, trials, man, they're just ah, long. But after talking about it for 20 minutes, you're like, man, trials, yo. Trials and joy, I can see how they actually can work together after a little conversation. And see, we tend not to count trials with joy. No doubt, and I'm going to say this twice, no doubt there is pain in perseverance, yet it is a process that is positive and productive. There's no doubt there is pain in perseverance, yet it is a process that is positive and it is productive. Notice that this is a process that doesn't happen overnight, verse 4. Verse 4 says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect. The word isn't perfect literally. It's perfect meaning mature, right? That you may be, per- you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Wow! I'd be like, that's, where, that's the place I'd like to be. 
but we see that you're not going to get here without what we just said, right? This, uh, <clears throat> this isn't talking about being perfect. It's not even talking about being sinless as much as it's speaking about maturity. And it's maturity in love. Joy, evidently, it's explicit. Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Can anybody help me with the rest? Because this is the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, patience. And what was the last one? Temperance, self-control. Who, who don't want to have those things in abundance? Come on now. See, verse 4 is saying, technically, how do you become more like Jesus? And we all want to be like Jesus, but are we trying to embrace the process? No, we ain't. Let's be honest. Let me be honest. I don't want the pain. I ain't trying to. Yet Hebrews 5 verse 8 says, listen to this. It says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And you know who that's talking about? (laughs) That's Jesus. And do do we think we're going to get it any other way as children, sons and daughters? This should say to me, I need to mature. I need to develop. I need to grow up. There's this guy. Is it Lavoisier? He's got this website, Periscope thing. He's like, it's called Grow the Heck Up. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I see it and I'm like, for real, that's what I need in my life. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I need it like that. I need someone to say it to me like that. See, but it's not going to happen aside from suffering. See, like muscles in the gym, resisting the weight makes me stronger. But but I don't want the resistance. But yo, it's not only... How do birds mature? Like when they're babies, yeah, mom looks after them, feeds them. And and you know, at at a certain point, the mom takes them and drops them out. (laughs) It's like animal abuse or something, you know what I mean? You'd be like, oh, maybe I can do that with my, t- my teenager. Like, drop them off the third floor. No, you can't. <laughs> you know what I mean? I heard a story about um, a, a goldsmith in India. And this goldsmith, he, he had a little kind of bowl and a little fire going underneath the bowl where he was smelting gold. He's a goldsmith. And someone comes along and they're watching him and they're watching him and they're watching him have the fire burning this gold and heat's coming out of it and <clears throat> and the the person asks a question he says how do you know when the gold is pure and the goldsmith said when i can see my face in it question don't you want to see god's face god's likeness reflected in your life well if you and your faith, says Peter, is like gold. It's going to get tried where? In the fire. In the fire. This should be an encouragement for you, especially if you, if you find yourself in the fire, even as we speak. See, is the strengthening of faith guaranteed? Absolutely not. It's conditional. It's, it's, it's there as a test, and not everyone... Not everyone's faith is bona fide. See, that's the negative truth. 
Someone once said, suffering will either make you bitter or better. And I think there's hardly ever an in-between. And on a positive note, the testing of our faith exposes our weaknesses, doesn't it? Which can be embarrassing, if, if we're honest. And as a result, some will walk away. But others, through heartache, pain, and tears will endure by God's grace. And if you're in that difficult place today, notice verse 4 is supposed to bring you to verse 5. Listen to the good promise from our good God. Verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him or her. See, wisdom says, everything that we just chatted about, wisdom says, yeah, amen. Trials, yeah, hard, tough, boy, but they they bring you to a place of endurance and strength and steadfastness. Wisdom says, amen, and we're supposed to concur. Now, the world ain't going to say that, at least about faith. It will say that about going gym, you know what I mean? Notice the need for wisdom, which is what verse 5 is highlighting. Wisdom agrees with all that we just said from verse 2 to 4. Wisdom says, wisdom says, look deeper. See the benefit of trials and challenge and hardship. Wisdom says challenge is helpful. Like the skinny guy walking into the gym for the first time. Wisdom says, yeah, you, look, you might look skinny now, bro, but don't watch that. You know, or to the overweight, the obese person that walks into the gym. And I'm saying that it's like, you know what? Wisdom, wisdom says, this ain't going to be easy, but it's going to be productive if I endure. So then why do people keep asking the same questions about suffering? Especially when, you know, people are, oh, you know, how could a good God allow us to suffer? How can, you know, this is the stuff we hear. You know what I mean? Even from those who've been in the faith for years, who walk away from the faith and then say, you know, I can't believe a good God could do this. I don't believe a... It's like, they obviously have forgotten the, the absolute, I mean, the humdinger of a fact is so blatant that we live in a fallen world. In a perfect world, I wouldn't need to go to the gym. I won't have to ride 14 miles round trip to work. In a perfect world, you can eat what you like and not worry about getting overweight. In a perfect world, there would be no pain, no sickness, no death in a perfect world. Right? Why is there so much suffering? Because we don't live in a perfect world. I don't even need to look outside of myself to know that this world is not perfect. I just look at myself. And I'm overwhelmingly convinced as I look at my own heart, that this world is not perfect. So then why would I be surprised at all the madness? See, and instead of blaming ourselves, mankind in general, we should be blaming ourselves. We blame God. Shake our fist at God. And it's just like Adam and Eve in the garden. See, and we end up agreeing with the lies of the serpent in suggesting that God isn't good. And therefore, God cannot be trusted. This is just like, the, it's just like Israel in the wilderness. 
Oh, you brought us out here to kill us. Huh? Huh? See, the underlying challenge here is, do you believe that God is ultimately good? See, will I take the path of wisdom or will I take the path of folly? See, do you agree that trials, that trials do produce steadfastness? I hope you would say yes. Well, that's the path of wisdom. And therefore, if you're struggling to have joy in your particular trial, guess what you lack? Wisdom. See, how do we face the trials of life with joy? How do we face these trials and overcome wisdom? Wisdom acknowledges our lack. Wisdom acknowledges our need. And it also acknowledges God's goodness. Because if, 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 you, if you subtract one of, one, one, one of the other, you end up in futility. And you end up like the atheist when he takes his, his, his conclusion to its logical, it takes his perspective to its logical conclusion. Life is meaningless. So go hang yourself. Did, I heard on the radio, like they were having this debate about the number one killer of men who are aged, is it 18 to 35? It's not heart disease. It's not cancer. It's suicide. The, hi the highest. And that's because people get to a point where they do look. I mean, who, I mean you, you'd have to be blind, deaf, and dumb not to be able to see that the world is, cr is going crazy. It's going mad. And there's no, it's, it's, not, it's not a surprise to me that people could find themselves in that place where they just say, you know, it, the, the, the easiest thing for me to do would be just to end it. I can see how people can arrive at that place. If we're honest, there's sometimes even as Christians, we can find ourselves in that place. Let alone those who have no hope. I mean, we got hope. We just keep forgetting it sometimes, don't we? And we need to be reminded. And therefore, if... If you're struggling to have joy in your particular trial, could I suggest on the basis of the text that it's because you, because I lack wisdom? You know what I mean? Wisdom acknowledges our lack, our need, and God's goodness. Listen to this quote from Calvin. He says, Since we all see that the Lord doesn't require of us anything above our strength, that's already encouraging. 1 Corinthians 10, I think, is it verse 13? The Lord will not allow you to be tempted above that which you're able. <laughs> You'd be like, boy, I'm not sure about that. You know what I mean? It's like the Lord put you in the oven and turn it up to 270 degrees Fahrenheit. You're like, yo, <laughs> but it's all right. We have to believe that this is true. Since we all see that the Lord doesn't require of us anything above our strength, but he is willing to help us provided we ask. Let us therefore learn whenever he commands anything to ask from him the power to perform it. This all goes back just to our relationship with God. A lot of the time the Lord, allows go, the Lord will allow us to go through madness because if we don't, we forget about him. And it's in those times when everything begins to fall apart, when the wheels come off, that's when we cry out to him. You know what I mean? He knows our frame. He knows that we're but dust. And it's his goodness that allows those difficulties sometimes. We lack 
but God provides. It might not be <laughs> what we want when we ask, but it's certainly what we need. He's the God of the open hand, not the God of the clenched fist. God will give us a wise perspective to see beyond the immediate trial and see past the superficial. And God isn't irritated when, when we don't understand. This is so helpful for me. You know what I mean? Because I'm like, Lord, I'm so messed up. I'm, you know what I mean? I should be getting this. 25 years I've been a Christian and I'm still not getting it. I'm still letting these silly, silly things wind me up. Silly things make me angry. Silly things make me respond in ways that I ought not to. And I feel like, how can I come to you, Lord? You know what I mean? I'm encouraged, you know, because we're encouraged to come to him. He's not irritated when we don't understand the purpose of our trials and we find things difficult. He's gracious. Even when we don't see things the way we should, when we don't see things his way, when we don't see things according to the way of wisdom, God isn't like that grumpy dad that is always busy doing something that, that prevents him from helping his child who is desperately asking for help. It's not like that. And that's the sentiment in verse 6. We must be clear about who we are asking. Because if you've got a twisted perspective of God, then you're not, re not going to go to him. If anything, you walk away from him, and then you end up shaking your fist at him. Right? Verse 6 says, but let him ask, or her, in faith, with no doubting. Mm. Now this is hard, but it's not impossible. Because we all doubt sometimes. Well, James doesn't expect us to be doubt-free, but he does want us to have this underlying consistency. We'll flop and we'll drop the ball here and there, but he does want us to have this, you know what I'm saying? I look at Ben and I'm like, I know Ben's been through difficult times. You know what I mean? But there's an underlying consistency that God has provided him by his grace. And he'll drop the ball from time to time. You know what I mean? But there's this underlying consistency. That's why you're here five years, ten years, twenty years later as a Christian. So he, he, wants this, he doesn't want us to be like a wave, right? Which is the example that he gives a wave is completely controlled by an external force, the wind. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. Waves are completely disconnected from anything. And they're completely at the mercy of the wind. We, are not to, we, are, we ought not to be like that. And it's the person who, who, who asks for wisdom... Even when they know they don't have it, sometimes don't even want it, but they realize their need. See, let's not be like the, the wave. It's, the wave is like the person who one day asks for wisdom, but then another day looks for wisdom somewhere else. See, that person isn't convinced. I'm saying there's an unpredictability about them. They aren't single-minded, but like the text says, they're double-minded. Verse 7, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded, she's a double-minded man or woman, unstable in all their ways. See, it's when, it's when we ask for wisdom, God grants it. <clears throat> this is the person that wavers. They ask God for wisdom, God grants it, 
but then they don't like the answer. See, we'd rather take option B rather than option A. But you see, if I ask for wisdom, I have to accept God's answer. Otherwise, I'm being double-minded instead of single-minded. This theme comes up again later on in the book. In James chapter 4, verse 8, you hear him say, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We've got to be like James, remembering that he's Lord, right? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This will come up again later on. Instability. It's the person that likes to hedge their bets. I kind of want to trust you over here, but boy, just in case. You see the double-mindedness. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's trying to protect yourself against making the wrong choice. Just in case. See, if you're going to ask for wisdom, believe that God will give it and then walk in that wisdom. The danger is often when a difficult circumstance arises, if we're honest, we don't always want to go God's way, do we? We don't agree that God's way is the wise way to go and we doubt. We're double-minded instead of trusting in the Lord with all our heart and leaning not on our own understanding. Proverbs 3. As we prepare to close, look. James now mentions one of the tests that we all will have to face. Verse 9 and 10. Wow. Test we all will have to face. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Now, at face value, that doesn't make sense. Verse 9 to 11, let's start off by saying it talks about the rich and the poor, right? What has that got to do with what we just talked about in verse 2 to 8? Well, earlier in verse 2, James mentioned, remember, trials of many kinds. Well, here's one of them. How about the trial of having money and not having money. I don't have to ask. I know that hits everyone, every single one of us. Now, the poor have very obvious trials, right? But to James, it seems like the rich have much more serious trials. Remember, we're not looking at things at face value. You know what I mean? We're looking at things with God's wisdom. He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Like, what are you tr You're saying that the person that's poor is actually exalted and the person that's rich is actually humiliated? James raises a topic that he's going to come back to later in this book, um, money and wealth. There seems to be quite a few rich Christians that James refers to throughout this letter. If you're familiar with the letter, you know what I'm talking about. Chapter 2, verse 6. Chapter 5, verse 1. Some of the believers at this time were double-minded. They, they had an unstable perspective of money and wealth. <clears throat> Here's a question. How do you cope with changing economic circumstances? Personally and nationally. I don't know if that's the word. Especially in our culture. See, are you, are you lowly in material terms? 
or are you exalted in material terms? I think it would probably be safe to say that we all fall into that second category. Compared to first century um, Near East, we are extremely rich, aren't we? See, are we lowly in material terms or are we exalted in material terms? Regardless of which one you are, both are a test of faith. See, and the question is, will you rejoice in the circumstances that you find yourself? Let's say you, you're, in your mind you're feeling like I'm very poor. You know what I mean? And you could be, comparatively speaking, compared to like rich people in, in, in London. Oh my gosh. You want to buy a house and you, you feel like that's never going to happen. In that sense, comparatively speaking, you know what I mean? You're poor. But the question is, will you rejoice in those circumstances Or will you find yourself cussing and complaining and moaning? Like, it, like with, with, the history, with, the, with the history and the memory that I have of house prices, listen, I feel like sometimes I feel like I want to mash up the place. Where I used to work in Vauxhall on Nine Elms Lane, listen to this. My wife's here to bear me testimony. In 1987, they built some new flats. Now, now the post office is on Nine Elms Lane, Literally, you come out of my office and you can see, what's the building? Battersea Power Station. You can see it. So across the road from where I worked is, is um, the river. Literally, so they built flats right there on the river. Guess how much the flats were? Two-bedroom um, flats with, um, what do you call the bathrooms attached to your bedroom? Ensuite bathrooms. Gym built in downstairs. It was, it was quite new. Guess how much the flats were? £70,000. Let me just move on, yeah? Let me just, let me just move on quickly. So I'm just saying, if you're in that place where you're bunning, you're like, like you see, now you see why sometimes I feel like I could mash up the place. <laughs> Not now. <clears throat> and, and how do you feel? You feel like you want to cuss, innit? Like, you, like my man in Tintin, you want to... Like cuss blue, blue blistering barnacles, cuss blue murder. You know what I mean? And um, so I'm just. But 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 on the on the other hand, on the other hand, now you now you can see how the poor quote unquote person can end up moaning and complaining and not not, not having joy in that in that trial. But how about the? I should I never give that example? Everyone's gone somewhere else now. <laughs> But you think about the rich person. You've got man's all walking out. You've got the rich person. <laughs> <coughs> Gone to Sainsbury's to buy something to drown his sorrows. <laughs> oh, that's a joke. I say that for the MP3. It's not, he's only 16. Is he 15, 16 now? You know what I'm saying? But, you, but, but, but now, how about those that do own that property? Or multiple properties like that. Can you see why both are to boast and glory in their status, right? It's another way of saying count it all joy. If you like, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Now, I'll tell you what that means in a minute. And the rich in his humiliation. 
You see, it's all about comparing present and future perspectives. So currently, the poor person is having a bad time. Currently, the rich person is having a, a good time. But how many of you know in the future, if, particularly if the poor person's a believer, the poor person, like, is it Luke chapter 15? Lazarus. Sores covered in light. The dogs are licking his wounds. It's, it's peak for him, right? But you read the end of the story, completely different. So you're going to see how the, the lowly brother is going to be exalted. You know what I'm saying? But then the rich, it doesn't matter how much money you got. It doesn't matter how much property you got. If you don't recognize that that is short-lived, you are going to be in for a very humiliating time. Because right now, for the minute, it, it means everything. But in a, in a moment, it's going to mean nothing. Literally. And this is where we get hoodwinked, isn't it? Because we're looking at that from the wrong perspective. And I'm saying, and James is like, listen, you better understand this thing. And both have opportunity to have joy in their trials. Because, you know, let me tell you, you got money. I, I don't want it like David said it, didn't he? He says, Lord, he says, I don't want to be so poor that I curse you, but don't make me rich because I will forget you quickly because I've got too much to do with, with all that i got. There's a song. There's a song. Um, it's Give Thanks. I think we know it. Um, give Thanks with a Grateful Heart, right? He goes, and now let the weak say, I am. You notice that? You see, that's the perspective that we're talking about. Let the weak say, I am strong. And let the poor, I'm rich. In Christ, because of what the Lord has done for us. But you know what? I heard someone say that there needs, there needs, there needs to be another verse added to that. According to James. Because that's good for the poor man. Well, how about the rich man? Listen. And now, let the weak, sorry, let the, <laughs> let the strong say, I am weak. And let the rich say, I am poor. Because of what? The Lord has, you see that? It needs another verse, doesn't it? See, there will eventually be a future exaltation for the poor. And there will also be an eventual future humiliation for the rich. Money and status count for nothing. Actually, it could be a hindrance for your growth and development. Why? Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Verse 11, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. That's Isaiah 40 and Psalm 103. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Wow. See, you and I, we are not secure in anything other than Christ. James 2 says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? Wow. Rich in faith. Heirs of the kingdom. Hmm, it's gone. So, when bona fide faith is tested, there's our three points that we looked at. We need to see that God is at work 
and uses trials to bring us to maturity. Two, we need to rely on God for wisdom and he gives graciously and generously. And three, we need to rejoice in our position, whatever that may be. Amen. 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 I'm going to invite the, the team to come up and join me. I know it's a long shot to get them to sing that song, but you know when you're kind of trying, you don't, you're not really trying, kind of asking and you ain't really asking. But as they come up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take an opportunity to, would you pray with me just about those three things? Let's pray. These guys are coming up. Um, okay, they've got to change the, the words. So, Father, would you please help us to see that you are at work and you use trials to bring us to maturity. Father, there are no shortcuts as much as we want to take them. We've got sat-navs today. We want to get to where we want to get to quickly. Lord, there are no shortcuts in your kingdom in that sense. It's just like trying to build muscle. There's no, like taking steroids is stupid. It's foolish. There are no shortcuts. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us to see our trials from a place of wisdom and realize that, Lord, we can't become steadfast and get to that place of endurance without, without going through that difficult testing and challenging time of resistance, that workout. It just stands to reason. And, Lord, we ask that you'd help us to see our need in that sense to rely on you for wisdom. We need that wisdom. I need to be reminded of that on a minute. But I will walk out the door today and get hit with a trial and forget everything that I studied, everything that I preached today, Lord. I'm so fickle. I'm so idiotic. I'm so simple. Lord, would you graciously help us not only to see that we need wisdom, but to ask for it because you give it graciously and generously that means you will overwhelm us every single second of every day. We say, Lord, please help us. Give us wisdom. You give it to us. You grant us. And help us, Lord, not to slight our position or, or where we are, whether we, we have or we have not. Lord, whether we, you know what I'm saying? Whether, Lord, so many comparisons we're tempted to be versus not to be in this 21st century life that we live in. Whatever it might be, Lord, help us to just be content where we might find ourselves and to count it joy because we recognize that wherever we are, Lord, if we have, if we have nothing, we have everything in Christ. And Lord, if it's, it's delayed gratification, everybody wants to be gratified, we, we just have to wait for it. <laughs> but Lord, if we're overwhelmed with stuff and have everything, Lord, help us to be humbled in that. And remember that we're not taking, like Job, we brought nothing into this world. And it is very, very certain, regardless of what perspective, atheist, agnostic, no matter what the person thinks, it's, it's unequivocal that we take nothing with us. The Pharaohs proved that. Load up their pyramids with gold and a couple centuries later, the British just come and loot that. We cannot take anything with us. It's, it's apparent, Lord. Help us. Help us, we pray, to descend in Jesus' name. Amen.
Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.